0: We wouldn't have posters without paper, and we wouldn't have paper without trees. Posters were one of the earliest forms of advertisement, and they are to this day the most cost-effective form of promotion. But we also buy posters for their design and art value. Today, I talk to Angelina Lippert, Poster House Chief Curator, the first museum in the US, based in New York, dedicated exclusively to posters. She will tell us, of course, how plants and nature are represented on posters, but also the value of collecting them as historical documents. Angelina will talk about the world's most famous posters and why they're so valuable. Heidi Smith, poster house director of retail operations, is joining us as well to discuss why buying objects with great craftsmanship from a museum store is like bringing part of its collection home and she will highlight a few favorites that make great holiday gifts. Good morning, Angelina. Good morning, Heidi. Good morning. Thank Good morning. You, morning. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank, thank you for
1: having us. Yes, thank you for having us. What is the mission of Poster House?
2: Oh, um... Poster House's mission is to educate and inform the public on the history and impact of posters throughout history. And posters generally begin in the 1860s. Uh, Mm -hmm. That's when we made the shift from broadsides, which are are text-based, to posters, which are the marriage of word and image. Mm -hmm. Uh, And a poster is a public-facing notice meant to persuade. So uh, something that is convincing you to buy a product, vote for a candidate, change your mind in some way. And uh, so Poster House explores the history of that medium uh, from the 1860s to the present day from all countries of origin. So our collection spans over 100 countries and we have over 10,000 posters right now.
0: Wow, this is so amazing. Um, I'm ashamed to say that I just recently discovered the museum because I live in Chelsea, very nearby from where the museum is. And I was really impressed and it's a beautiful of the Beaten Path Museum. Um, Heidi? Yes. How does this uh, concept or the mission that Angelina was describing tie in the store?
1: Well, um, first of all, I mean, it's very important that a museum store is um, reflecting the exhibitions uh, in the shop so that there's a connection to what you see in the exhibition and what you see in the shop. It could be the direct or kind mm-hmm. of indirect It could be, um, and since we are a poster museum, you know, we want to have posters for sale. We're not a gallery, and so we don't have, uh, we're not filled to the gills with vintage posters from, you know, 1880 and 19s, you know, 20. We send those uh, people that would like that to the poster galleries to check those out. Instead, we have more of a museum store kind of selected range of posters. It's kind of edited to some big names like Milton Glaser. Paula Cher, Seymour Twast, to um some other designers that are out there in the world making uh, you know, band posters. We have uh, Bill Sullivan who creates all the posters for the Forest Hills um concerts. Uh so mm-hmm. these are authentic posters. So the shop stays in line with the mission of the museum. That is its main priority is to uh, educate. Uh, Museums are to educate. Museum shops are therefore an educational um, extension of the museum. Yeah. Angelina, what are the posters in
0: the collection and the store um, with nature or with botanical themes in them? Oh, um, (laughs) in the the
2: collection or or just in, in poster history in general? But you know all of the above. <laughs> um, so in ge- in general, I actually have a I have a, a blog post on our website that covers the history of nature in posters. So I, I can uh-huh. certainly speak to that. So basically, um, posters' relationship with nature starts back with the early travel posters, where um, any kind of travel was usually positioned uh so that it was enticing you to go somewhere for nature so whether whether mm-hmm. for thermal springs or hiking or it was always some outdoor activity it wasn't like come and uh, uh come and see this beautiful city the earliest ones were all come and see nature because it was about getting people out of the cities into the countryside there's also the as we saw in our very first exhibition uh, there was a trend uh, in the 1880s, 1890s um, of creating allegorical decorative panels in which uh, you uh, uh, that usually embodied elements of nature. So uh, mm-hmm. Alphonse Mucha was our first exhibition, and he has the four flowers, the four many versions of the four seasons. So the idea of of bringing nature and, and the female embodiment of nature into one's home was very important to the, the aesthetic mm-hmm. Of the turn of the century uh that evolves into when you get to like the first earth day day posters or the the first arbor day posters also the wpa posters um of the of the 30s they they all generally are celebrating national parks they're advertising um yosemite uh or or and and they're showing beautiful uh vistas uh through the way that they present Mm -hmm. um nature that way um So, yeah, that's how that's generally how nature is presented in in posters. Mm
0: -hmm. Angelina, from um, from your current exhibition, The Sleeping Giant Posters and the Chinese Economy. Could you tell us about the layout and nature themes from some of the posters, especially the early 20th century ones? And I also want to mention that there will be a remote, vibrant, verbal description tour of this exhibition on December 17th.
2: Yes, I, I actually lead those, those verbal description tours. Um, so in, in, in okay. the early pieces within The Sleeping Giant, you see these beautiful, uh-huh. sumptuous um, uh, internal scenes where it, they're usually uh, featuring women primarily. And elements of floral design are either embodied in their outfits or they are surrounded by flowers. So there's usually some beautiful like cherry blossom tree sweeping behind them. It's a lot of either yes. bringing nature indoors or bringing women outdoors surrounded by nature to sell something. And that, that product uh-huh. may have nothing to do with what is being shown. So we have a beautiful uh, poster, which is one of my favorites, of a woman in this like luxurious camel-colored coat. And she's near a lake with beautiful flowers all around her. Um, And it's advertising fertilizer, which is not what you would imagine it would be advertising. Um, But it's uh, but but those kind of making the image appealing and beautiful was the was the primary focus of that period of Chinese advertising art, Uh, and and the the product was kind of secondary to that process.
0: That is so interesting how you can portray something that ultimately is the opposite or creates the opposite effect, yeah. but it's, it's about the mood and the feeling. Um, would Angelina, what is the case for collecting posters and not paintings? Um, paper is less durable and more susceptible to light damage. It's more fragile well
2: it doesn 't have to be I mean mo- most poster collectors lay everything on linen, so that 's an archival uh, preservation process that basically makes your poster indestructible um, every every, oh, okay. every poster I own is is linen backed um, and, and again okay. it 's a reversible process so if I ever want to lift my poster off of the linen, you can you can easily uh, restore can easily do that um, but the re- The main reason to to focus on posters rather than paintings other than uh, the price point is usually a bit more friendly. Um, it's that a painting is an artist's expression of what they feel or what they want to express to the world. Uh, a poster uh-huh. is a reflection of society at, every, at any given time. So you're, you're dealing with um, a document that is both beautiful as a decorative object uh, as well as, okay. a, as a, a historical document. Um, so you're you're seeing you're, you get something that's decorative, but you also get something that has has historical meaning that is telling you something about the society from which it came. So it could be a poster advertising a performance in a small town that was only there for two weeks, and that is a thing that would not even make the footnotes of history, but you would know it existed only because of this poster. So you get these these okay. beautiful insights into the texture. Of how people lived that you wouldn't necessarily have any other way of knowing so i think there's a lot of value in posters in, for, for that reason
0: yes and also how they worked or commercial endeavors yes. of the time yeah. heidi does the shop work with designers to produce posters and other products for poster house some of your posters for sale are printed in
1: brooklyn And uh, can you tell us why? Um, Sure. Yeah. We actually, for this recent exhibition, the Swiss Grid, Mike Joyce designed the Swiss Grid poster for Mm -hmm. us, and it's lovely. We wanted a little bit higher quality prints. We wanted to do a screen print instead of a digital print, which is what we have been doing. Digital prints look gorgeous, too, but... Screen printing has a little bit uh, more vibrant color. When I came over to Poster House to start the shop, a company called K Rock in Brooklyn, a printer, a screen printer for t shirts and totes and other things, was recommended to me by the uh, director of retail at the Whitney Museum. And so I went to them because they can do small batches, which is very important. So basically, I had a relationship already built with them. Because uh, as a small museum, I wanted to make smaller batches instead of going overseas where you have to maybe produce a thousand. And two, I just love working with uh, designers that are in the city. And so that's why we Mm -hmm. went to work with them. We wanted to um, have a little bit more vibrant colors because of Mm -hmm. the way the Swiss grid uh, exhibition and and prints, we thought matched more with uh, screen print than doing digital yes because the swiss grid is usually uh, yes on exactly white, so right? with screen printing yes. of course there's you um there's only so many colors you can do you know maybe up to seven max yes. uh and this has only yes. a few so we said let's let's do it so
0: mm-hmm. uh angelina what is considered the most valuable poster in your collection or ever printed and why
2: yeah you know? no uh so that's actually a complicated question. It's, it's actually more interesting if I talk about the, <laughs> the, the two most valuable in the world, essentially. and They're from two different camps. Okay. So um, the, most, uh, the most expensive advertising poster in the world is Toulouse-Lautrec's Moulin Rouge. You'll, you'll know it. It's the, the can-can girl and says yes. Moulin Rouge three times up top. And that goes for about half a million yes. dollars if you have a true three-sheet version. Um, if you don't have the third yes. sheet, and the third sheet was often thrown away because it's just – the hint of the first two the first two lines of Moulin Rouge the two sheet version just says Moulin Rouge once uh so it's a it's a small difference but it's a small difference that costs you $250,000 extra um and uh so that's the most uh that's the most expensive advertising poster however if you go into the movie poster world that's a different uh ball game altogether because then you're in the memorabilia market and uh, when you're in the memorabilia mm-hmm. market you're get a you get a much higher price point so the most expensive poster in the world of all categories uh, would be the uh, poster from Metropolis which is about a million dollars if you have it.
0: One of my favorite posters in the shop is I Love New York Castles. Oh, that's a great poster. Um, yes. Uh, so tell us about this poster in particular and about Milton Glaser and why he is one of the greatest living posters. Well, he's artists. not
2: a living poster artist. He died over the summer. So so you're a little... I know, oh, no. you're a little, a little late. Oh, no. um,
0: you're right, you're right. I forgot. Okay, I'll, I'll yes. rephrase that.
2: And why he's one of the greatest yeah so um <laughs> was one of the founders of Pushpin Studio along with Seymour Quask. um and he quickly became uh beloved for his very uh illustrational whimsical surprising designs um He doesn't just stick to posters i mean he he did the brooklyn brewery uh logo he's done yes. uh, he's done a, 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 if you name if you can think of it he's probably done it um he but um mm-hmm. his posters are always um, very they 're very colorful they 're very surprising. everyone knows the Bob Dylan poster, the famous profile of Bob Dylan with the Rainbow hair, or even the last season of Mad Men. It was the the, the iconic Don Draper on the couch but a, a psychedelic background so he 's playing with ideas of, of mm-hmm. psychedelia but making them more illustrational and taking them out of that, that 1960s uh, rock and roll world and translating them into, into more of a commercial realm. Um, And his designs are just incredibly popular because people love them. And he always he always ended up with really great clients. Uh, And he was he was really (laughs) wonderful at finding a very simple and direct way of saying something that that will put a smile on your face. Uh, So with the Catskills poster, he's obviously he's playing on the fact that there's the word cat in the title of the of the of the area. So the mountain is turned into a little kitty cat. And uh, he did more than one version of this, and he, and he also did for other for other areas mm. in upstate New York as part of his I, "I Love New York" campaign. So there's one where there's a, a a man inside of a mountain as well. So he he likes to anthropomorphize things or or play off of cutesy mm-hmm. terms within within a, a a title or a name. Um, but the Catskills poster is great. It's like the, it's it's literally the most adorable thing in the shop, as far as as far as I know
0: yes it's ador- it's both adorable and slightly scary, you know <laughs> that big cat you know popping out but but it's it's one yeah. of my favorite uh, Heidi Christmas, Hanukkah, and Kwanzaa are approaching, and this year we are going to be shopping locally mm-hmm. and mostly online um, muse- Museum shops are a way of gifting something with great craftsmanship from anywhere in the world, but also with the character of the city where all those products were curated or, or are curated, um, anything that comes to mind um, that is for sale at your shops for New Yorkers to gift a bit of oh, their absolutely. city? Oh, uh, absolutely.
1: Right now, we're doing a few collaborations to connect to the exhibitions. Uh, the Sleeping Giant, for example, it's on Chinese posters. So I worked with this fantastic store in Chinatown called Chop Suey Club, which happens to be um, mm-hmm. this fantastic design store. And basically, the Chop Suey Clubs uh, started because the owner, Royoyi, Yi, she's from Shanghai. She didn't see that there was a, a boutique store that was specifically focusing on Chinese design and art and culture. So the way their store is, is they look to procure design products from young Chinese creators around the world. There to dissipate xenophobia and to make Chinese culture more accessible.
0: You also mentioned a marine biologist turned jewelry designer based in Hawaii. Can oh, you tell us yes, more about I'd her Oh, yes, I'd love pieces? to.
1: She uh, Gadea is uh, the jewelry designer, and it's handcrafted beaded jewelry and also some brass jewelry. The craftsmanship is phenomenal. And, um, uh-huh.
0: and you mentioned also some planters yes. that you
1: have. Uh, so... Um, by Aina Alto. It's a pot planner. It's ceramic and it's very, Uh her work and also her husband's work was very kind of biomorphic. They have a shape that's globby and very abstract. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: That's it. Um, Angelina, any last thoughts you would like to add? Anything from the collection uh, that people should uh, stop by? Something that... that, uh, sticks out especially for you we still
2: have the sleeping giant posters in the chinese economy which features posters from the 1920s uh-huh. through the early 2000s coming out of china we have the swiss grid which is all that minimalist uh, precise design of the mid-century in switzerland it's very black and white with maybe a few pops of red and uh, we also have a beautiful mm-hmm. small show when you first walk in right across from the shop um, of the posters of amos kennedy who's a letterpress printer out of detroit and I believe we we might, if uh, we might, if possibly, might be getting a,
1: a print um,
2: by Amos Kennedy in the shop soon. Is that right, Heidi? Yes, so we're looking poster. at
1: um, selling Amos Kennedy's uh, posters. We're looking at a selection that are all unique, one in of them themselves, and also looking to connect with an exclusive uh, poster mages for Poster House. And so that's in the works at the moment. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you. Thank, thank you so, so much to both of you. This has been such a great Uh, conversation. Oh, well, thank you. And thanks to our listeners. Beyond Tchatchkis, a museum shop sheds light into great local and international design that is accessible to all of us. We hope to have inspired you to take a look at your local museums and exit through the gift shop. Please go to pdlcbotanica.com for detailed information of the posters and products mentioned in this podcast. Palula signing off, wishing all of you a very happy holiday season and a great new year.